What up, family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. Passing Period is something that we drop in between full episodes. Our full episodes come at you every two weeks. And in between that, we drop these podcast extras just for the listeners because our full episodes, of course, are video and it takes a while to edit all that. So in between that, we drop Passing Periods to discuss recent news that maybe didn't make it into our most recent full episodes. Um... My name is Dr. Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I'm here with Jeffrey Garrett. Jeff, how has your week been, man? We're starting the school year. Everything, I guess, is nice and smooth and nothing nothing crazy happening in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Manuel. It's all nice and smooth. Uh, we are here in L.A. We just finished our second week of the school year and um, and really the first full week of the school year. And, uh, you know, I would say things are, are better than they were, and there's still a lot of work to do to, you know, first and foremost, to make sure every, every student and family is connected and able to access school. Um, and, you know, we're still, I think, still dealing with some of the stuff you've spoken a lot about before with, like, you know, us having squandered a bit uh, the summer as an opportunity to really get, our, get ourselves, you know, in a really good place around uh, a distance learning model instead of debating the you know logistics of the hybrid model. So we're still still working through that, but a lot of good stuff happening from you know from teachers and principals and teacher teams that you know that's inspiring. Um, but also we know I think we still know we're we're a ways away from where we want to be at this point. So um, yeah, that's that's where we're at, man. What about you? Yeah, well, we just finished our second week of full online learning. And to be honest, it's gone a lot better than I thought. When I say that, I, I mean that in terms of attendance, especially. I mean, attendance has been through the roof. I mean, students are there. Students are, it was clear from the first day that students were really looking forward to being back at school, even though they're not physically at school, but just having that connection again. Uh, you know, a lot of these students, I mean, between the pandemic and the spring and then just the long summer, I think a lot of them they just like were aching for some sense of normalcy, although nothing is normal, of course, about this experience, but just having them again, like all together in a classroom, a virtual one at that, you know, it was just clear that students were looking for that. And attendance has been great. I've had like one or two absent students per period and, and, and I get these, you know, hurried emails from them about why they couldn't log in and why they couldn't be there. You know, in, in physical school, it wasn't quite that, you know, in physical school, there's, you know, students absent and, and it's just like, you know, trying to hound them about like catching up on what they missed and, and whatever. But it seems like with virtual school attendance, at least so far, has been has been really strong. And it's just so refreshing to be back with them. I mean, this is such a tough time. And just being in that virtual classroom with my students has been very refreshing for sure. So it's gone really well in that sense. But in every other sense, it's still a mess. Like there's still crazy technology hiccups. I almost had a panic attack yesterday morning because my internet was down like 10 minutes before class was supposed to start. And it was just like, what the, you know, it felt like back in the day commuting to school and being stuck on the freeway because of accident and like feeling helpless. Like there's nothing I could do and I'm about to be late. Mm. So, so there's that, you know, but overall it's going a lot smoother than I thought. It is starting to, the classwork and all that is starting to pile up for students. I mean, our students have anywhere from six to eight classes that they're juggling because we didn't modify the schedule like I had hoped. So there is going to be, you know, um, a level of, I guess, like back to reality sometime soon. But right now we're enjoying the space. I'm enjoying the space a lot, especially when you consider everything else that's happening. So to me, that's like the classroom, the virtual classroom space with my students is like 
one of the few sp uh, spaces I have been able to go to lately to like recharge and feel good about the world because mm. so much else about the world is just uh, really, really, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, man. I hear you. Being someone who's uh, who's a, a layer removed from uh, from the classroom and from students, I I am longing uh, <laughs> for that, Manuel. I feel man. my, it's funny, man. My work right now feels more removed. I feel further from school than I've ever felt, which it's very unsettling. Um, and, and it, you know, I don't think that means like the actual or a lot of the actual work I'm doing is actually more removed, but just there's something about the, like, I don't go to schools and I don't, you know, I'm not like walking around campus and hearing the kids and, um, you know, smelling the smells and seeing the, right. you know, <laughs> seeing the mood, right. Uh, that just makes it feel like oddly distant or something. So I am uh, I'm craving a little bit of school, frankly, and looking forward to the day that we hopefully can get back to, you know, safely to uh, to regular school, man. That's going to be it's going to be a good day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know how y'all who don't have that that energy source that is young students. I don't know how, how you make it because. They're so refreshing and they have so much patience. I mean, when there are technology issues, like they are, my students have been so patient with themselves and with other teachers and it's just a, just a breath of fresh air. Then I think about everything else that comes with it and with teaching in this way and with everything that's just been happening nationally. I don't know, man. I just think this is going to be one of the, even though we're off to a smooth start in my, in my school and even though I really love the time I have with my students, um, I'm under no false pretenses about what we're up against. I think this is really shaping up to be one of the most dangerous years to be a teacher in in a long time. The combination of the pandemic and also just the political and racist intensity of modern American society is just um it's just a lot and it's a lot to handle and I I think we should probably talk about some of those things uh, some of the headlines for sure as it relates to teachers uh getting caught up in the mix of this partisan racist debate and then also just the fact that there are still teachers out there who are having to go to physical school or who haven't started school yet and face the possibility of having to go to physical school. So I think we should talk about some of those things because I think it's important to bring some perspective to this moment in education, which is really shaping up to be a, a truly dangerous moment, I think, um, for teachers. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, man. Well, I think we are, it's such a strange moment um, in the history of our profession, but um, there's there's just been this kind of confluence of things happening recently that, uh, you know, that we have talked about and wanted to kind of bring this conversation to our, you know, to our all the above family here. Um, and it, it's just unsettling, right? When we're in a, when we're in a position where educators are being asked to do school, which is already an incredibly complex job in a, in a new way, right? And, and I say new way, not because we didn't have distance learning in the spring for a lot of us, but because the spring was such a shit show, Right. That we yeah. even if you are still doing distance learning, it's different now. If you are now doing a hybrid model, that's different than what it was. And if your school just, you know, went full Georgia and returned to like, let's have a Corona Fest uh, physical school. 
you now have the, the still the pandemic layered on top and you know it right so the the stress and the cleaning protocols and the you know or the lack of them right um i think has just has just ramped up the intensity of the work and yet at the same time you know the one of the stories that really just jumped out at me from this past week was um was coming out of texas right and this teacher um uh, Miss Lifka, Taylor Lifka, I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, who was a, an English teacher um, at Roma High School in uh, Roma, Texas. It's a border town, small border town um, in southern Texas. And, um, you know, was put on administrative leave for having, like, frankly, what almost every teacher I've seen has nowadays, which is like a Bitmoji classroom with, you know, with just like tokens of who am I as a person, right? And then tokens of, um, you know, warm affirming messages, right? So uh, so if you hadn't heard about this story, here's some of the stuff she had on her, on the walls of her Bitmoji classroom, right? A sign that said Black Lives Matter, a sign that has a, a rainbow flag and then has like a word next to each of the colors in all the different colors that says diverse, inclusive, accepting, welcoming, safe space for everyone. Right. And then she has a um, another sign that says um, Amiga tu lucha es mi lucha. Right. Your fight is my fight. Right. Your struggle is my struggle. Um, and. You know, and she's placed on administrative leave after a parent sees this and complains to the district, right? So, you know, something like that, which just feels to me like such a um, such a blatant attack on the common decency that, that we've talked about before that's just kind of baked into school, right? Like equality and dignity for all is is part of what school is about. And so to to have a teacher, you know, placed on administrative leave in the face of trying to, you know, figure out how to teach successfully remotely, trying to create culture and community in the classroom. I mean, this it just feels like a punch to the gut, uh, you know, to the to the profession, frankly. And, you know, maybe this is an outlier story and this is not how it's, you know, the, the majority of the picture. But you see something like that and it's just it, it breaks your heart, man. So. Yeah, I mean, breaks your heart. That's 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 one side of it. It also is infuriating um, yeah. in a major way. I mean, these are really basic sentiments that she's expressing in her classroom to let her students know that she cares about them, no matter who they are, no matter what their um, background, identity, and all that, and that this will be an inclusive space. It's like, how dare she be inclusive? How dare she, you know, proclaim that Black Lives Matter? What what's especially troubling about this is that the screenshot of her. Bitmoji classroom was picked up by somebody who's running for Texas House of Representatives, uh, Marianne Knowlton, and um, you know she spoke out against it as being Marxist and this and that. So what that has me thinking is that this is one of like four or five headlines I've seen of different teachers who have been under fire for expressing even the most like mild acceptance of like black lives and um, acknowledgement that black lives matter. So there's a teacher in LA, not far from where I live at El Camino High School who wore a t-shirt that said, I can't breathe. And she wore that during one of her uh, virtual Zooms. And apparently they had an anti-racist PD in the days or weeks leading up to the school year. And 
some student's parent took a screenshot of that, sent it to this conservative uh, personality radio host or something, and then it was all over the internet, and now that teacher's under fire and, and uh, expressed that she doesn't feel safe in her own house anymore. So thinking of the Texas teacher that you just mentioned and how like a Republican politician picked that up and basically made it even bigger, and this teacher in LA who, you know, the screenshot ended up being used by some conservative um, YouTuber or somebody, and then you know all the trolls came out. And then there's that teacher in Atlanta who was under fire for having a Black Lives Matter poster just visible in the background of her virtual classroom. And the district or, or somebody like I don't know if it was the the school administration or the district itself in Gwinnett County, but you know she was um, removed originally because they were questioning her effectiveness as a teacher or the poster was was a distraction that was impacting her effectiveness quote unquote as a teacher and i guess she's since been reinstated and i think the poster had to come down or or you know i could be wrong in the details of that but my point here is that it's only been a few days of the school year like we're only a few days into it and it seems like folks are ready to like play gotcha like oh here's this liberal teacher indoctrinating kids oh here's this liberal teacher indoctrinating kids let's let's expose them let's put them out there coming from a faction of the political spectrum that is all about freedom of speech and not canceling folks. You know, I watched bits and pieces of the the RNC this week um, uh, against culture, my better judgment. Man, well, one of my cancel friends. culture. Man. <laughs> so I watched bits and pieces, and so much of it was about like you know you should have the right to express your views and not be canceled, and and you know you can't even be express your views anymore. And this this like here's all these teachers, folks, attempting to cancel them um, for lack of a better word because of their views. And I just feel like, you know, as a teacher who's teaching in a virtual classroom, it's already hard enough to teach virtually, to your point, Jeff. Like, I, I felt, I told my wife several times this week, like, it feels like I'm a first-year teacher all over again. A 30-minute lesson is taking so long to put together because I have to account for, well, what if a student is using their cell phone? Or what if a student misses? And, you know, how could I make sure there's enough? And it's just, like, accounting for all those things is already hard enough. And then not knowing who's on the other side of the screen necessarily. So like most teachers, uh, ho hopefully most teachers, I don't know, um, I don't require my students to turn on the camera. In fact, our district told us that you're not allowed to force them to turn on the camera, which is fantastic. So just as a comfort thing, students tend to have their cameras off so that they don't have to like, you know, look a certain way and or have their surroundings judged. A lot of my students, when they're speaking, I can hear in the background a lot of activity, like I could hear that they have other folks in the household doing online school or online work. So, you know, a lot of them have their cameras off for that, for those reasons. So then there's just the reality that, you know what, I don't know exactly who's on the other side all the time. And in the case of the teacher in LA, like somebody's parent was on the other side and somebody's parent took a picture and somebody's parent sent that out to a conservative YouTuber or whatever. And now like her whole year is is shook up and possibly ruined. You know, just the, the trauma of knowing that folks out there are, are sending threats and being violent towards you and trying to expose you and try to like take you out. It's just nuts, man. It's just so, so nuts and so dangerous, especially I think of it as a social science teacher and the president's scant platform for his next four years under education is like choice for everybody and teach American exceptional exceptionalism. That's it. So I'm just thinking like how many parents and how many like folks are out there trying to catch their history teachers trying to do anything that isn't like American exceptionalism. I know of a teacher who posted that she informed her students of the Supreme Court case relative, uh, related to standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. She like informed her students that the Supreme Court ruled that 
it can't be forced upon students to do that. And she uh, was attacked by a whole lot of folks. And it's just like, uh, damn, like, who else is out there trying to catch you? And when is it, when is my lesson plan or a snippet of me saying something, when is that going to hit the internet? And when are they going to come for me? Because it just feels like that's the climate that we're living in now. Yeah. Yeah, it does, man. And, you know, it is, these are such surreal times in general, right? Uh, <laughs> to have just come out of, I, I don't know if you watched any at all of the, of the RNC this week, but I mean, you know, just, to, just to like, a, a completely divorced from reality conversation about the state of affairs in our country right but now. But they had he had so many black people speaking. Jeff, there was, it's clear he's not. I racist. mean, look, man. Uh, I guess they took uh, Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben off of the box and uh, brought brought them to the RNC, man. Man, uh, exactly. It, it was wild. I only could stomach a small amount of it, um, you know. But it is. I, I think you're right that we're in this moment where. The work has become so much more challenging and complex when it was already incredibly challenging and complex, right? And that I don't say that to say like, oh, you know, pity the educators and lower your standards or something. Um, but I say that to say that like the job is really complicated right now and we don't need anything making it worse. And we certainly don't need, you know, folks like going personally attacking educators who are working to create, you know, safe environments um, for students in their classroom. And anytime you find yourself opposing a message that says something like, hey, this group of people matters, uh, <laughs> you, you probably are wrong. You know, like it's probably not a good look. So you should think twice before you, you yeah. know, put that out on your on your Twitter group or whatever um, to, you know, to to critique. But, um, you know, something else, Manuel, that uh, that's been hitting me this week is, you know, as someone who spent most of my career uh, in New York City. Uh, I've been following from afar the developments in New York, which are just crazy to me, man. And so, you know, for those who maybe are, are not following New York City, obviously the nation's largest school district and the city that was, of course, kind of the maybe original major epicenter of the, of the outbreak of the pandemic in America uh, is now gearing up still to reopen their schools for physical school in September. Now, in New York, like lots of other parts of the country, uh, schools open after Labor Day. And in New York, it's typically the Thursday after Labor Day, so uh, September 10th. They're slated to open. And there's just been uh, growing and mounting uh, major questions and some pushback from the teachers' union, uh, the United Federation of Teachers, um, and from the Administrators' Union, um, which is uh, CSA, it's the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators. And, um, and just this past week, there was um, a letter, a second letter, signed by a collection of, a huge collection of principals from Brooklyn, uh, which is the city's largest borough, um, Essentially, you know, calling to task the uh, the chancellor, uh, Richard Carranza, and um, the mayor, Bill de Blasio. New York City has a mayoral control model um, and saying, you know, look, everybody wants to go back to school, but we need to be able to go back to school safely. And so New York City, you know, unlike many other parts of the country, like where we live here in Southern California, they're 
uh, infection rates and kind of the public health equation is a little bit different right now. So, so it might actually, you might be able to make the argument that reopening their schools could be attempted given the low infection rates. Now, there's still a big critique about that because folks are saying, well, like those infection rates are not consistent across the city, right? Certain neighborhoods are much yeah. more heavily impacted than others. And the, the occurrence of death is not equal across the city either, right? So like the risk of, you know, poor black and brown communities in particular is much higher than it is for, you know, the more middle class and, and more white parts of the city. So, but even stipulating like, okay, let's say it could be done uh, from, from a like public health infection rate standpoint, the logistics of doing it in schools and they're pushing to do a, a hybrid model um, are just a mess right now, right? And they have not uh, certainly satisfied the, the needs of the administrators there who are pointing out that, you know, the, um, you know, the, the district has not done a good enough job of addressing the public health concerns that have been presented to them. They have not demonstrated that there will be the necessary amount of uh, PPE available to schools. Um, they don't have, they have uh, like administrators going around and uh, supposedly signing off on the fitness of ventilation systems in the schools, right? And school. I didn't know that was part of your principal training. Yeah, Jeff. no, I, trust me, we don't know a damn thing about HVAC, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, at least not, you know, the majority of principals, maybe a few have had to learn over the years, but certainly not about like filtration and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? And this is New York City where, you know, unlike here in California, where we have lots of open space, on school campuses. In New York, a school is one building, right? And oftentimes a hundred year old building, um, you know, or 50, 75 year old building with poor ventilation, frankly. Um, you have classrooms, plenty of classrooms in schools across the city that have no windows at all. So, you know, you combine that with a poor ventilation system, and we're talking about like this is just a super spreader kind of event, right? If, if the right um, protocols, are not in place. I mean, heck, it might be anyways, even if the right protocols are in place, but we're talking about like a quick descent into uh, public spread uh, if this is not done well. And yet, you know, we're, we're not seeing movement from the mayor and from the chancellor to actually respond to this and, and you know, give confidence to educators that they're not going to be putting their lives at risk in order to, to return to school. So, you know, it's it, it just feels like, man, well, every everywhere you turn is like tough news for <laughs> for educators right now, man. And, uh, you know, to some extent, that's the case for everyone. Right. Uh, parents who are having to be teachers and do their job and all that stuff. You know, we get it. But um, again, this is you know, it just feels like another blow. Right. When it's like, yeah, you might die. Yep. But like. Odds are it's not going to be you who dies. Like, who wants to go to work? And, you know, in that situation, how can one feel inspired by the leadership when the message is it's probably not going to be you who dies this week? Yeah, that's man, it's just so, so crazy. And I mean, at this point, I'm just out of words for the nonsense that we're having to deal with. And I definitely want to shout out the educators on the ground in, in New York and those who have been pushing back hard. And, and you know, Lynn Sean comes to mind and, and folks involved with Educolor out there in New York who um, 
are pushing for for better because uh, to your you know something you said about those those infection rates like they're not uniform across the city and you know we're talking about a massive school district and in my head I'm just thinking like we keep hearing stories now that time has passed and more research has been done about you know so-called quote-unquote super spreader events and and just how big of an impact they had on on spreading the virus back in the spring and it's just like well Putting everyone back into the classrooms, especially in a major city like New York, like you're just asking for the exact same thing because nothing has changed with regards to how infectious this this disease is. Like nothing has changed with regards to that. Like there's no vaccine yet. So like it's just going to happen again. I don't understand the logic behind trying to force the issue of folks getting back. I understand it's hard to do distance learning. I understand a lot of parents, a lot of guardians can't um, support their kids during the day because they have to work. I understand all of that. But more than anything, I understand that like we don't need to rush people into something where it's we know for a fact people are going to die. Like we on the show, like I think our first one of our first class dismissed for our like, you know, socially distanced filming of the show was uh, a Brooklyn principal who lost her life. Like so many educators in New York City lost their lives in the spring and summer. And we just we know that's going to happen again. Like it's it's almost a guarantee. And I just. It's just so, again, I'm out of words to describe this moment. This is, um, people's priorities are all screwed up, all messed up. And um, it's just it's just quite tragic. So shout out to all the teachers who are fighting back. Shout out to all the teachers who are embarking on the school year um, starting this week. I know a lot of folks out there who are, who are starting this week and all the anxiety, all the stress, all that, everything um, that you've been experiencing. You know, I experienced that in the, the days leading up to the first day of school and it felt really good to see the students again. That's really like the one thing that I could point to to say like, you know, that helped me. Otherwise, everything else continues to be trash. Um, <laughs> shout out to the teachers and educators who are dealing with the political heat of of parents and, and administrators and coworkers and people on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff trying to like shame you for, for expressing support for Black Lives. Man, it's just... It's a hell of a school year, Jeff. It's only a, a, like a week in in most parts of the country, and it's already just like a complete, complete stress, stressful, traumatic mess in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I just am holding on to some hope that, um, you know, that the, the return of school is going to bring some more rhythm of normalcy to people's lives. For students, yeah. for families, for educators. I have heard some, you know, just anecdotally from some parents here in L.A. who've said, like, it, it feels like a night and day difference between the spring and now where, like, there is, oh, it does. you know, there is a schedule, right? And, like, my kid, they're home, but they go to school and they have a different, you yeah. know, things to do throughout the day. And there's adults who are checking in on them, and right? And so my hope is just that, like, we, we are we're getting some of the positive benefits we have historically gotten from school now that we're actually like really more attempting to do school and that we, and that just like cooler heads will prevail on some of these more ridiculous stories that we've seen, right? This sort of challenging of basic decency in the classroom by these, you know, nutty conservative folks who, uh, you know, frankly want to push an agenda where not everyone has uh, <laughs> matters equally, uh, you know, in, in yeah. the classroom, right? Which is just at odds with the basic cultural underpinnings of what, what school is in a democratic society. So, and the places where there's been a rush to reopen, hopefully they calm that down, right? And, and we learn, like, actually, 
life matters a lot more than getting parents yep. back to work a few days a week. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. holding my breath and hoping that that's, that's what we get out of this, man. It's been, it's been such a unique time uh, in our profession, and I just I hope we can take something good from it. Yeah. All that, for sure. Um, all right. I'd be remiss if I didn't give a, a giant shout-out to uh, Chadwick Boseman. And Wakanda forever. Man, it's just, uh, man, throw the whole year away, man. That's it's just so crushing yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, all right, folks. So if you joined us today because you just came across our show, perhaps you listened or watched the most recent episode with uh, Jose Wilson, we want to extend a warm welcome to you. And again, this these passing periods are our podcast extras that we drop in between our full episodes. Our next full episode is going to be super dope. We have Julia Torres. Um, she's going to be in the building along with our senior middle school correspondent, Genevieve DeBose. And we'll be talking about what anti-racist work looks like in the English language arts classroom. So you definitely want to join us for that. And we'll also have, of course, headlines in education and other dopeness. All right. So thank you for joining us today and go on ahead and get to class.